In this series, we've been focusing on the covenants that we have seen, the big promises that God has made to his people. The first promise kind of came on the heels of people messing up the world, really. When, when their minds and the intentions of their heart were only evil all the time, is what Scripture said. And even, even amidst that, God promised and, and restrained his desire to start everything over by starting with one family, giving them the blueprint for salvation, to, to follow the way of the Lord, and then they would be saved. The second promise started with, with one person, a promise that this one person and, and his wife would one day be this great nation, that, that throughout, through this nation and through his descendants that the whole world would be blessed and that, that this nation would have, would have land. And it was a promise really only God could make, and it was one that God himself would stake his life on making happen, making Abram's aged wife, Sarai, give birth to a son. Both of these promises, the the promise God made after the flood, the promise God made to Noah in all creation, and the promise he made to Abram were strictly one-sided promises. God saying, I will be the one that will fulfill each of these things. I will make you have an heir, and I will see the bow and remember my promise not to destroy the world with a flood again. But this promise, but this promise was different, the new promise that we're going to talk about today was different than the ones that came earlier. This time, Israel themselves need to make a promise as well. Have you guys ever made a promise that required both people? No. Anybody? You can raise hands. There you go. Randy, good. And some other people, right. You know, promises take both parties, and it involves people giving of themselves to make sure that that promise, whatever it is you're saying, comes true. One of the things that I think about when I think about promises, we could go to marriage, but we're not going to go there. We're going to go to pets. And it's amusing because I wrote this example about pets, and then later on that week, my kids wanted another pet, and we're using this example. So you'll, you'll find this to be great. So if a kid wants a pet, say a dog, they will say, Mom and Dad, I want a dog. And the parents are like, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of work that goes with having a dog, right? You have to take it for walks. You have to feed it. You have to let it out. You have to play with it. You have to house train it. If it goes potty in the house, you have to clean it up. And if it's a dog, you still have to clean it up if it's outside. There's a lot of work that goes with a pet. And, and the parent gets done saying that, and, and the kids are like, yeah, 
I promise I will do it all. I'll do everything. I will, I will take the dog for a walk. I will, I will feed the dog. I will play with the dog. I will clean up all the dog doo-doo. I will just do everything. The reality is the parent knows parent knows they're going to fail. <laughs> they're not going to clean up all of the doo-doo all the time. They're, they're not going to be able to house train it on their own so it doesn't eat the chairs of the house and things like that. They're, they're not going to be able to, to care for it all the time. But what happens is the kids make that promise thinking about the puppy and thinking about the fun and the, and the joy and, oh, it's so furry and fluffy and cute. And not thinking about all the work, all the hard work that all of those things entail. Or maybe it's like someone who says, I'm going to run a marathon. And they don't think about the hundreds and hundreds of miles that need to be run before you run the marathon. Or maybe it's like someone at the beginning of the year that say, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to blank, whatever it is. Not thinking about what that's like day after day after day to actually follow through, right? That's why I don't know how many percent fail within the first month. We make promises. And that's where we're going right now because God is making a promise to his people. And his people are making a promise back to him. And, and, and God knows that they're going to need some help. He's making this promise to them knowing that they're going to fail. So we're going to head to uh, Exodus chapter uh, what chapter? 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. That's page 64 in the Black Bibles, if you got those. If you got one of the green student Bibles, that's page 93. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a bowl and the other half splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you 
in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders then, they went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis and luzi, oh, sorry, la, lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. God eating with his people. And that's where we will end the reading this morning. Here, God is expecting his people to make a promise back to them, and they agree. Verse 3, if we saw the last part of verse 3, if Hunter, if you want to put that up. Next slide. Everything the Lord has said we will do. I don't know about you, but I would, I would love to hear people say, everything Steve has said we will do, right? Uh, everything the Lord says we will do. And we can find everything, all of those things that Moses wrote down in the chapters preceding this one. In chapters, I think it's uh, 19, 20, 21, no, 20 through 23. Four chapters entail all of the thing, everything that the people are to follow. So Israel says yes to what? You know, we might just think that it was the Ten Commandments that, that they said yes to. Yes, Lord, we will have no other gods or images before you. We won't bow down to anything else. We won't misuse your name. We will not, we'll rest on the Sabbath day, we promise. We'll honor our parents. We won't murder anybody. We won't steal. We won't bear fault witness. We won't covet. We won't do any of those things. We will, we will do it all. Well, that's only a portion of those first chapters that describe all of the stipulations and the laws that the people are saying, yes, Lord, we will do everything. We will do everything that you have just said. It's just the beginning of the, prop, uh, the promise. The, the promises are the, the, that they make go on by saying there's, there's gonna, they're going to be following the specific laws about altars and, and, and the, the keeping of servants amidst the the nation of Israel. There's, there's going to be specific laws about, about injury and how to deal with, with people who are injured or, or dealing with people who have diseases. There's going to be laws about property and crops and thefts. There's going to be moral and then ceremonial laws. There's going to be laws about social responsibility to one another. There's going to be laws about protecting the vulnerable. Everything you've said, Lord, we will do. There's going to be laws about justice and mercy. There's going to be laws about the Sabbath day and the festivals that they're going to hold. Lord, we promise we'll do everything. We'll do everything that you have said. All in all, it's not just ten ways that they said they would follow the Lord in his way. Instead, it's more like 62, I think, listed there to follow according to his way. And after all of those things, 
the people said, join with me, everything the Lord has said, we will do. That's what they said in one voice. Think about getting that nation together, the resounding sound of everyone together saying, everything the Lord has said, we will do. I wonder what the Lord thought when he heard the resounding sound of all the people in his chosen nation, the royal priesthood, the the people that he chose to be a blessing to the world say everything the Lord has said, we will do. When I hear that phrase, everything the Lord has said, we will do, uh, I don't know why, but my, my mind jumped to the New Testament, uh, to this passage where Jesus encountered this rich young ruler. And it's, it's this prominent individual, and, and this individual wants to know, well, what is the way of salvation? How do I gain eternal life? And, and Jesus, he didn't say all 62, but he said, you know, follow the Ten Commandments. And, and it's like the guy said, well, yeah, everything the Lord has said I have done. Yeah, I followed those since my youth, but then Jesus knew perhaps within this person's life the one area that would keep him from following Jesus' way fully, and that that individual who followed all the commandments from birth went, went away sad, not being able to follow Jesus' way fully. And that's really what's happening here is even though the people are saying, we will follow the way of God, we will do everything the Lord has said, God knows that that they're going to fail, that they aren't going to follow all the ways perfectly. He knew that they they couldn't do it. He knew that they would go on and and teach to their children from the time they were born the way of the Lord and in following the commandments. But because of sin in the people's hearts, there would always be this conflicting will. A conflicting will that says instead of everything the Lord has said, we will do, it says, no, I want to do what I want to do. And even with these people that God was making this promise to, to, to be a holy nation, to be a royal priesthood, even though he knew they would fail, God still makes a promise to them. He still makes a promise to him, even, even though they won't truly follow their way. You know, the people were likely thinking about what they were receiving when they were making this promise, kind of like, like those kids who make the promise to get the dog, to get the puppy. They think about the excitement of holding the puppy about that little fur ball around here and how cute they are when they're so small, that they're so fun to pet and they're so fun to play with. And they weren't thinking about 
about the, the hard work. The promise that God made in Exodus 19, if you want to put that up on the screen, Exodus 19, verse 5, here's what the people were thinking about. If you obey me fully, that's what they're supposed to do, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then that's, those were the words that Moses was to speak to the Israelites. To be God's treasured possession. Follow my way and, and you'll be my treasured possession. Kids, just take care of the dog and you can have your treasured possession must feel special to think about being God's treasured possession. Out of all the earth and, and all the people and all the nations, the Israelites were thinking, we're God's treasured possession. We're his, his special people. He, he chose us out of everybody else. Why, of course we will do whatever the Lord has said. Being God's special possession, nothing sounds better than being God's special possession. And so, so maybe they don't even hear all the words that are spoken, and, and they just say, yeah, they just heard the words treasured possession, and they knew that that's what they wanted to be. So they said they would do it, and then came the long road. The long road of, of following God's will by pushing behind them or, or attempting to at least the I want my will. I want to follow what I want to do, and instead following what God wants to do. Like those kids who really want to just go play outside, but instead they remember, nope, I need to go. Oh, I got to take the dog for a walk. I got to make sure he gets fed. Oh, but then I got to brush him and I got to, got to wash him. I got to take care of his nails. All of those extra things that they weren't thinking about and, and yet they fail. The parents know when they get the puppy that they're going to have to chip in some of the, the labor to care for it, that they're going to have to intervene at some point, and that's what God knows. He, he knows that the people of Israel will fail. He makes the promise knowing that he's going to have to intervene at some point in time, just like the parents taking care of the dog. He's going to have to intervene and, and create a new way. He's going to have to, to step in and, and help them because the people of Israel, their, their shoulders are not broad enough to carry all 62 laws perfectly each and every day of their life, let alone probably one day. Even if we went only to Ten Commandments, I wonder if any one of us could follow them perfectly with their intent Especially when you get to the New Testament and, and Jesus said that it's even the thoughts in your mind that act as sin against any of those commandments. 
knowing, knowing the people will fail. God ratifies this covenant with his people. The, the blood is poured on the altar and the, and, and the blood is poured or sprinkled on the people as a sign of this covenant going forward. And then, and then God does something pretty amazing, actually. He invites those 70 elders. He invites Moses and Aaron and Abihu and Nadab to dinner. They eat together within the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, one step closer to his people. When you, when you think about Scripture, God is moving ever so slightly closer to his people after every promise he makes, trying to restore what he had in the garden. First it was, I won't destroy you. Next it was, choosing one individual and, and promising to one, and now it's promising to a nation, but it's not just promising to a nation, it's eating with some of them. His presence so close, and, and, and I don't read anything in Scripture here where, where being in the presence of God caused these 70 elders to just go poof and disintegrate because God struck them down with some bolt of lightning, right? God was allowing these people that have been sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice to come close to him, to eat with him, to dine with him. Him essentially saying, you, you're one of my friends. So these people, they eat with him. They're not made blind. Maybe they then saw some representation of God as they were, were eating with them, but but it was a relationship then. Most of the time, you don't just eat with anybody. And if you do, in the process, you form a relationship with them. As you're in their presence together, eating together for, for an hour or two hours or, or whatever it may be, you form this relationship and bond, and, and that's what God is beginning to do here. He's forming a relationship among his people, even though he, he knows they're going to fail and he, they're going to they're need him to, to step in from time to time. He's, he's bringing his blueprint for salvation just one step closer saying, my blueprint for salvation includes a relationship. It's not just following away, but it, it's following away and, and receiving a relationship in the process. And then God will be continued to be placed closer and closer as he, he, he lives among his people. The people build a, a fancy tent called a, a tabernacle, and, and God gives them the specific blueprints of how to make that, and he gives them the blueprint of how to make the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that is the, the reminder of the promise between God and the people, and, and really often considered, not considered, often the place that God himself will be dwelling. God beginning to form this everlasting relationship with his people through that blood of the sacrifice, through the agreement of the two parties. And because of that agreement, God now is able to bring his presence in the center of them. 
living amidst his people once more, perhaps not just like the garden, not walking amidst them, but now he's present, bringing his holiness among his people who are a holy nation, trying each day to live following the way that they said they would. Yes, I will do everything that you've said, Lord. That's what we celebrate in Advent, the, the steps of God moving closer to be with his people. The steps that, that restore him to his creation, that, that begin the building of a relationship of God and, and his humanity. We see then that, that the people who had been consecrated would be able to carry God in essence, carrying that Ark of the Covenant from place to place. God walking with them, you could say, in their midst as they carry him. The holy people of God. And you see the relationship further as as God's holy ones that he calls later on hold him in his arms. As Mary takes up the Lord from the manger, holding God in her arms. As Joseph and Mary carry the God-man, Jesus Christ, from place to place, forming this relationship with their Son, the God and King of heaven. God forming a relationship where his people look upon him in awe and majesty and wonder as they enter the tabernacle and offer sacrifices to him. And later on, his people, Mary and Joseph, looking upon him with awe and wonder about the one who has just been brought into their life. God in both places working to form a relationship, working and taking steps, intervening when he needs to, to create an everlasting relationship based on his promises, the promises that he will see come to fruition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. Your promises which come in ways that we can dine with you as these 70 elders and Aaron and Nadab, Abihu and Moses ate with you. How you, you further built that relationship where Jesus himself dined with your people creating communion, the Lord's Supper, that they would gather together remembering the work that you have done and that you furthered that relationship, inviting us into it, that just weeks ago we too communed together, eating together, remembering the promises that you have made in the relationship that you desire and looking forward to the day where we will once again eat with you in person, 
just like those 70 elders, God, to eat in your presence and be in awe of your glory. Cause us to be faithful as we walk this journey here on earth. Give us your spirit that we may walk in your way more fully. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.